So some of you will be um, encouraged by this fact, and some of you like me will be a little sad that we're coming to the end soon of our series through the book of Acts. For some of you say, it feels like we've been in this series forever. We haven't. It hasn't been forever. Uh, but we did stop during the middle of, of March into April to talk through a storm series as we were especially going through some of the initial lockdowns. But I just want to encourage you this morning about a simple reality about our God, and that is the title of this series has been unstoppable. That his love, his work, his mighty hand in our lives is truly unstoppable. There's nothing that can keep him from moving forward to bring glory and honor to his name. And I want to celebrate this morning that there have been people who've gone before us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who have been unstoppable as well. We're going to see this today at the end of Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul was a man who got knocked down, got back up again, got knocked down, got back up again. He was a faithful leader to the Lord and it was not because his circumstances were easy. And, and you think of the power of a wave and you think of its force and that it's this constant moving process. But for some people, they get stuck under the wave. They get stuck behind it. They get pushed along in such a way that like Psalm 1 describes it as being just tossed in the wind. But, but this morning, we're going to follow again the life of a man who was truly unstoppable because of the fact that his God is unstoppable. And it's not because his circumstances were easy that he chose to obey the Lord. Pastor Dan read these verses where he really talks about his life as if it's something that's important, but that he's going to keep pressing on, even in the middle of his ignorance about what the future is going to hold. That encourages me this morning. You know, when I, um, growing up, I've mentioned here before that I was one of three boys and all of my brothers were excellent athletes. In fact, they all played, um, they competed in sports at, an at a collegiate level. My one brother was a pole vaulter for Ohio State, actually. And so uh, we loved, loved watching Chad pole vault and it was kind of funny. And our, we had this great conversion van and these giant poles um, that he would carry around. They'd stick out the back of our, our conversion van when he was going to track meets. And I loved watching Chad compete and in a pole vaulting uh, track meet in the, in the event that he was in because it was always going to be something spectacular to watch. Now, some of you have watched pole vaulting maybe live. You know the process, right? So they take this fiberglass pole. They sprint as fast as they can. They hope to stick it in this little metal container and hopefully fling themselves like it would feel like to be in one of those catapults up over this, this stick that's up top. And boy, I'm butchering this, isn't it? You're like, Sean, have you ever seen any pole vault before? Well, I loved watching it. And some of it was because it almost always um, was interesting to watch because of the fact that it didn't always go as planned. So sometimes they didn't land on the, the soft mat that was supposed to be there. Sometimes my brother uh, experienced this a couple times, that fiberglass pole would shatter in the process of going through it. Now remember, they're going almost two stories high. And what's amazing about that particular event in, in general is that you get three tries. And so one of the things that stood out to me um, watching this, I watched this actually at the state, um, the state finals that my brother competed in in Ohio here uh, when he was in high school, is that you'd watch somebody who on one of their early attempts, like if they fell or if they had a, a, broken, uh, a broken pole, uh, that they had to decide if they were going to get back up again and if they were going to try again. 
And for some, it meant the ambulance came and took them off. We saw that happen. For others, even after they'd experienced this pretty violent experience, they, they, they get back up. They, they go keep competing. They, they try it again. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that you and I have a heritage in our Christian faith of people who got knocked down and who got back up again. That, that they found themselves lying on their backs, like some of you are this morning, and, and instead of allowing it to define them as a failure, what they were able to do was to keep moving forward. I love this, this image um, that is, is so encouraging to me. And that is to think of this, this work that the Lord does in our life as being our good shepherd. That he hasn't just allowed us to be the person who's lying on the ground, suffering through these experiences of our life, but he is our good shepherd. Many of you know the 23rd Psalm. You've read it. You've memorized it. And I want to remind you this morning that King David, when he penned these words, it was from experience that he had spent his youth in fields tending sheep. And in that process, he'd led them to places where they could be fed. He'd protected them from, from the threats that had the potential of causing great destruction to, his, to the, the flock that he was put over care of from his father. And, and here, what we see as these words are read, something that's going to help us this morning, and that is that when we, when we hear the familiar words of Psalm 23, we're reminded of the fact that his God, the good shepherd, is constantly with us. That that process of going through each step of our lives is not one where he's abandoned us to figure it out on our own. But he says this in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, lead, he like, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You guys can quote this, can't you? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And then he says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you will remember in school Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, the, the basics that we desperately need in order to survive. And you read the 23rd Psalm and it almost reads like a list of that, food, shelter, water, safety. You know what that just says to me about my God? is that he knows what I need. He desperately knows. He knows what I desperately need from him. And in the middle of the Psalm 23, where it describes this fact that he is with us, he hasn't forgotten us in this process. And today, uh, the Apostle Paul's gonna be described as a shepherd. And he's gonna talk to shepherds of the church that were in Ephesus. And, and I want us to keep this image in our minds as we study this, that, that we are under the care, all of us, every single person in this room, we are under the care of a good shepherd, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we also find ourselves understanding that we are a part of a legacy of people, people who've identified themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ over history. And I love, I love this statement. It says, many faithful men and women have thrived, have, um, we have a wonderful heritage of faithful men and women who have gone before us and who have finished well, today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about finishing well. He's going to tell a group of people in Ephesus that he's not going to see them again, that he's convinced this is his parting conversation with them. And, 
And, and as I read this, uh, there's, a, there's an, an intensity of emotion that you read this and you just, your heart breaks for him. This is a sad time in history. But, but what he's also going to declare at this point is, keep it up. You got this. There's more work to be done. We press on. So, so today we stand back and I want you to see this picture of, of people. Some of them are going to look familiar to you. Some of them, you may not recognize them. But, but in, it took me a few minutes to just sit down on my computer and think of names of people who've been over the last couple of hundred years, just incredible leaders in the church, people who led and pushed us on in our understanding of the Lord. You think of some of these names like D.L. Moody, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, Francis Havergill, Schofield, Campbell Morgan, Spurgeon, uh, the, Eric Little, Betsy Stockholm, William Wilber. This, this list could just go on. And you know what was great for me? I had so much fun putting this list together. And then I thought about my own life. And if I, this, this is people who've been authors or influences, and this is by no means comprehensive, and we don't worship these people, but they just represent a group of people who've gone before us who've been faithful. And, and if I could do my own personal version of this, of faces that would mean nothing to you, like Sunday school teachers and parents and individuals who poured, in, poured into my life, I'm guessing for, for each one of us, we, we could have a collage of names of people who've been faithful. But it doesn't mean that their lives have been easy. In fact, on this list, as I wrestled through this, I, I thought of the Apostle Paul and his suffering, and we'll see that today in God's word. But Matthew Henry had four children die. Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 hymns and songs that we cherish to this day. Songs like Blessed Assurance and To God Be the Glory. You may not know this, but she was blind from the age of six, month, six, month old, six months old. She was... Um, she was a woman who still the Lord used in a mighty way. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, had a nasty fall on a riverboat while he was in China and it practically paralyzed him. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, was bedridden for almost 20 years, the later decades of her life. William Carey, known as the father of modern missions, um, his wife had a severe mental breakdown and it defined their lives for many years. Lottie Moon, was surrounded by so much poverty in Asia that uh, she would give her food and the money that she received as a missionary in such a way that at the end of her life, she was only 50 pounds because she had wasted away in her ministry to the Lord. Amanda Smith, an African-American um, former slave, um, by the time she finished her ministry in Africa, bought her freedom and uh, had lost two husbands and four of her five children. And I, you don't read these things and celebrate them, but, but I just want to remind you this morning that the Lord did not promise an easy path for faithful believers, but what we know is that there are people who've gone before us, who've modeled significant obedience to the Lord, and it often came through sacrificial obedience. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We'll pick up in verse 17. It says this, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know that I, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I had set foot in Asia. Now, the, this opening part is one that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. He's 
transitioning now from this, this part of the world where he's going to go back to Jerusalem where there was severe persecution uh, for Jews and Christians at that time. And he pulls aside the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And it's very instructional for us. The, the term that's used here is actually the term that we um, build the word pastor from, but it's also the term biblically that's used to define bishops and elders. In other words, the leaders in the church. And here, what, what we see established early on is, was a plurality of leaders that shared the work. It wasn't just one pastor's church. Uh, it was the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and here, the Apostle Paul is going to transfer power smoothly because of the fact that he's been pouring into the lives of godly leaders in the church in Ephesus. And he's going to warn them about some of the things that are ahead. He, he makes no, um, no qualms about it that this is going to be a hard season for them going forward. When they came to him in, in this unique section in verse 18, it says, and when they came to them, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, they would have known the fact that his hands at that moment were calloused because of the fact that he worked hard with his hands to pay the bills so that he was not, not a financial burden on people there. No one could accuse him of financial improprieties there in that community. He also probably had some bags under his eyes because we know that in that community in Ephesus, they took this great siesta in the afternoon. They started their days very early. And instead of taking the traditional siesta like everyone else did, he was known to preach and teach the gospel during that time period, constantly fighting for the truth of the gospel. So he was, he was probably tired at this point. But he says, you know how I served, shamelessly, selflessly, simply. And then he says this in verse 19. This is incredibly encouraging to me. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. That, that there was religious persecution that he was experiencing daily as he attempted to represent the love of Christ. Verse 20, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. The Apostle Paul says that he was not guilty of pulling punches, of, of choosing to not be clear about the gospel. I, I preached the full message. I, I'm not ashamed of how I communicated truth to you. And I suggest to you this morning that sometimes it is difficult to communicate the truth of God's word. There's, there's things about God's word that are complicated. There's also things about God's word that are very difficult. I had a pastor one time, I've shared this here on this pulpit, but first place I ever had the privilege of preaching, um, the, the pastor um, pulled me aside and he went out of his way to emphasize why he doesn't ever mention hell from the pulpit. And he was saying it to me as if he was saying, this is why our church has grown, is because I avoid teaching these. And I wondered, have you, have you ever read Acts chapter 20 before? Have you read when the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy tells him to, 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 to preach the word? Yeah, to, to declare it publicly that there's hard truths in God's word. In fact, when we talk about the good news of the gospel, that it necessitates us understanding the need for the gospel. And so, so here the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of how I lived. I, I shared it all. I, I didn't pull my punches. I spoke courageously and confidently about the truth of God's word. And, and I like his word humble here. He was never selling himself. He didn't want them to worry about him. In fact, he was happy for them to forget his name, but he did not want them to forget his God, right? I mean, is, that, is that the truth? He, just, he wanted them to understand 
that the Lord Jesus was active in their life, that this was his church. And so it leads us to the first point this morning. This might be more for me than you or for those who were just appointed as elders, but it's an important one. And that is the role of a pastor and an elder is to care well for God's flock. That this image in the background of a shepherd holding a sheep is one that is one of God's favorite images of what he does for you and I. And it's one of his images that he uses for the shepherd. The role of a shepherd is to care for the flock, to lead the flock, to invest in it. Verse 21 goes on to imply that this was not going to be an easy task. No one said this was going to be easy. In verse 21, he says, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks. Remember, those are the people, some of which who were persecuting him. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul understood the gospel and he constantly communicated the good news of the gospel to those who are around him. Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city of what I can look forward to. This is what's on the agenda for the Apostle Paul. Uh, can you imagine this was on your travel agenda? Imprisonment and afflictions is what I anticipate. When the Apostle Paul um, chose to place his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Ananias, one of the former men that he persecuted, was told that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. The Apostle Paul suffered for the namesake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that imprisonment and afflictions were what he could look forward to. But he kept going. You understand? So, so here he is, he's again in a place where he could have found himself on his back and he could have just chucked in the towel, given up, but instead he presses on. But I, for I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The apostle Paul says, that he anticipates, he expects more conflict in the process of expressing the gospel. No one said it was going to be easy, but he pressed on because of the fact that this is a really important thing. I think it's because he loved people. I think he understood and believed the gospel was the hope of all people, that we desperately need to hear the truth of the gospel. And so he was willing to make these steps to move forward with the truth of the gospel. Verse 25, and it says this, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That's pretty blunt. I'm never going to see y'all again. Because of the fact that um, the Holy Spirit has testified this. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I, I wonder if you can say that about your family members, your friends, your co-workers, that you can say, I've done my part. I've shared the truth of the gospel with you. Matthew 13 implies in the parable of the soils that it's not about the messenger, uh, the cleverness of the messenger, but the job is to just spread the seed. And here, this, this seed spreading, the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of how I lived among you. Uh, in our annual meeting, we talked about the number of people who've placed their faith in, in the Lord this year, and it was like 15 people, something like that. And I celebrate that. I'm so grateful for that. I'd love to see that number, number double or triple in the future here because we believe that we have a world that desperately needs hope around us. And, and I want to encourage you to continue to, to be able to say, could you say these words? 
that I'm innocent of this because I've done my part. Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Um, this, is, this is personal. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like, hey, you guys, you got you to take care of yourselves. You, you know what this image is? Uh, it's been a while since some of us have flown, but on the flight, you know, the pre-flight checklist, you know, when the stewardess is kind of like pointing at places that you don't know what, what's this, you know what I mean, right? No, you guys are all asleep. You guys, and they always tell you that the, um, that if, if you get to a certain elevation or the pressure changes that the, the oxygen masks will come. How many of you have experienced this firsthand? I've never experienced this. All right, none of us have. But they say the same thing, though, every time. They say, make sure, parents, that you put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your child, which goes against our natural tendencies. But I think this is partially what God's saying, or the Apostle Paul's saying to these leaders of the church. He says, you guys got to make this personal. This is this is your faith. You need to own this before you sell it to someone else, share it with someone else. This needs to be something that you're a self-feeder of. You need to receive it. So when he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. And then he says, and pay attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it's precious. The church is precious. God's church is meaningful. It's valuable. It needs to be cared for. I can remember the first time that Allie and I had our eldest daughter. We left her in the hands of a babysitter. I think it might have been my mom. Um, and it still made me nervous. Now, now, my mom had raised four boys. She's going to do just fine, right? But, but there's that, that moment when you, you hand something that's precious to you off to someone else. And it just, your heart's racing, Right? In the same way, the Apostle Paul, as he's handing off the leadership of the church in Ephesus to these individuals, he's saying, this is precious. This is God's church. The Holy Spirit is working in the church, and, and you need to understand your role as being an under-shepherd. And I want you to catch this morning, some of you have asked me, sometimes I'll get this question, so, so how are you doing, Pastor Sean? How are you doing at Hope? Are you doing okay? And I want you to know that I consider it an incredible privilege to serve and to lead here at Hope Church. I consider it a privilege to serve alongside of a team of pastors that love you and love the Lord, consider it a privilege to serve amongst an elder board that is committed to caring well for our church family. And I, I love the words of 1 Peter chapter 5, um, verse 2, when it says this. It says, shepherd the flock that, of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you're forced to, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That eagerly part, this is just a privilege. I consider it a huge honor to, to play a small part in your life. And in the last 20 years of pastoral ministry that the Lord's called me to, I've had the privilege of sitting with people in some of the greatest moments of their life and weddings and celebrations. I've also sat with people in the most painful moments of their life. And in both of those, I consider it an incredible honor to hopefully represent the love of Christ in those moments. So I'm deeply honored to continue to serve in this way. And I, I feel a sense of responsibility. The Apostle Paul saying this. He said, when I was there, I did this well. There's a conviction associated with this. And he warns us about what's going to happen at the church in Ephesus. And I believe it's going to happen at the church in Brunswick, Ohio as well. It says this um, as he continues on that um, we, we understand this, that God's people have and all, all, are and have always been under attack. It's just the reality of life. You can see the picture in the background of 
it's kind of grotesque, but there's all these dead sheep. And uh, uh, this is in Eastern France. And these people in the background are, are collecting these dead sheep. And I guess that there was a time where they had culled most of the, the wolves that were in that area in the region, and then they had started to come back. And the shepherds, I read a number of articles of the shepherds who had these giant flocks, 600 sheep, that, that they'd find that there'd be one, one particular wolf that would come in and, and they'd attribute 27 or some deaths to just one of these wolves that comes into the, their little community. And they're, they're talking about their strategies to try. And in this case, it wasn't even about consuming the sheep. It was just about killing. It's just incredible, isn't it? And the Lord Jesus, uh, or the Apostle Paul, warns us here that there's going to be a day, he says this in verse 29, when, when there's going to be attacks that come, in this case, in the church in Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The Apostle Paul, um, maybe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe through just understanding the way life works, that in the church in Ephesus, there was going to be a terrible heresy. There were going to be terrible uh, attacks on that local church. And we'd see it historically pan out that there's going to be some rough times for the church ahead. I, uh, I've shared this story before, but um, I, I, when I think of these, these wolves attacking, when I, was a, when, I, my, when I was growing up in our house in Dayton, my mom... Um, was overseeing a part of our vacation Bible school. And one of the things that they did was they had a bunch of those little goldfish. You guys know what I'm talking about, the ones that cost like a nickel. And um, we probably had two dozen of these left over after vacation Bible school. And so um, at my home, we had this awesome little turtle, uh, Dribble, and I had a fish tank. And I thought, well, we'll just let Dribble um, coexist with these uh, 24 goldfish, all right? So uh, we took them home and set them free. And I just had this, this image in my mind of this beautiful ecosystem where they're all living together. Uh, and then a couple, a couple of hours later, actually, we noticed that there were a lot less than 24 goldfish in that tank. And uh, my mom suggested maybe that they jumped out of the tank because it was an open air, because it was a turtle tank. So I'm looking on the ground to find them. There were no fish to be found. And it took about a day, maybe a little bit over a day for that turtle who'd grown up my whole time that I had known him eating those little fish flakes. Uh, he ate 24 goldfish, just finished them off, you know. That, that image of the ferocious wolves that come in and destroy, them, I think this is what the Apostle Paul was warning them about. The Lord Jesus warned the church that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing that would come into the church and wreak havoc upon it. Verse 30 goes on to say this, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. They're going to draw attention to themselves. They're going to pull people away. They're going to come from amongst the church, people who have identified themselves as Christ followers. Now, now we can either ignore this warning and deal with the consequences of it, the, the, the pain of being torn apart, or we can be people who, what he's warning them to do is to take this very personally. He's warning them that this will happen. And I'll tell you, in my time of pastoral ministry, we've just watched this happen in so many different settings. There, there's people who are smart enough to, um, to take a word that we use in, in our faith and twist it just a little bit, to redefine it, to to choose to readdress things in a different way that steals away the beauty and glory of the gospel and makes it something that is earned or attempted to be earned. I've seen people who've 
attempted to to draw attention to themselves. Their their name is everywhere. They're, like when it when they say um, in the New Testament when it describes the early church, some people said, "I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul," and and it was appalling to Paul. He he said, "I want nothing to do with that. I don't want people to worship me. I want them to worship the one true God." Right. We see historically that there have been people who've twisted the way the text says, twisting, speaking twisted things. I've shared this before, but it's so meaningful to me. Warren Wearsby, in his book, Be Alert, says that these words that he's referring to here in the text are plastic words, words that can be twisted to mean anything you want them to mean. The false teachers use our vocabulary, Warren Wearsby says, but not our dictionary. They talk about salvation, inspiration, these great words of the Christian faith, but they do not mean what we mean when we say them. He goes on to call this counterfeit truth, and he warns swindlers of this kind dealing counterfeit truth, something that looks and sounds right, but is actually contrary to the fact. It's an imitation meant to deceive the unsuspecting. Counterfeit truth is big business, and it's still owned and operated by the same insidious proprietor who began it all these years ago. How can we avoid being hoodwinked by one of Satan's workers of deceit? He gives us three ways, and I want to encourage you with these. The first is to stop, to refuse to blindly accept someone else's teaching just because others have been encouraged by it. To stop long enough to take a serious study comparing what is being taught to what the scriptures teach. We saw this in Berea, in, in the book of Acts. There were Jews there that Paul was teaching and they eagerly sought scripture to determine is what, if what was taught was true. The thing that's so meaningful for me in this and what I want to challenge you in is, is that this is just personal. This is your job. This is your responsibility when you're being taught to be someone who chooses to say, is what is being taught does it measure up to what God's word says? The second recommendation by Warren Wearsby is to look, to take a careful look at the life of the main spokesperson. Is the fruit of the spirit evident in their life? And he challenges us not to be wowed because someone sounds intelligent or wooed because of someone's charisma. Matthew seven fifteen through 20, the Lord Jesus told us when we think of the wolf in sheep's clothing that there would, be, be, um, there would be false teachers that would creep in amongst us and the way that we were called to recognize them is by their fruit. So, so is their life evidence, is it evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or is it marked by pride, selfishness, ambition? Is it, is it marked by a person trying to draw attention and glory to themselves? Are they drawing attention and glory to the Lord? The last thing he recommends is to listen, to pay attention to the terms they use. How are they defined? Also listen carefully to what is not being said. If you were attending that church that I mentioned, the first one that I preached at so many years ago, you would have to be discerning, not just to pay attention to what was being said, but also to what was not being said. So I challenge you to take these judgments and hold them up to the truth of Scripture. So, so Paul knows, um, he wisely warns, he recognizes that there's going to be a day when the church in Ephesus goes through many false teachers, and it was disruptive and destructive to that church. Here in the world that we live in, in 2 Timothy, Paul warns of a time period where people will gather up teachers around them that will tickle their what their itching ears, their tickled ears want to hear. They, 
They, they can surround themselves with any message. We, we live in that time period. We can have anybody um, surround us with a message that reaffirms what we already believe. Uh, but, but in the midst of that time period, I think he's challenging us to be people who take this personally. I also want to challenge you on something that may be as meaningful as anything that, is, uh, that I've shared today. And that is, in the midst of this process, the failure of other people is no excuse for our own. Let me, let me say that again. When we look back on history, and, and I celebrate, I, I put all those faces up there, and maybe some of you look at them and you say, yeah, Sean, but what about this person and this person who didn't win the race? They didn't finish well. There's heartbreaking stories that we've experienced, but I want to encourage you about the fact that those who failed, those who've given up, those who've given in, that they don't define our faith and they give us no justification for giving in. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about his faithfulness. And even in the midst of the fact that there were some at that time that were incredibly unfaithful, says this in verse 31, he says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He, he's got an eternal perspective here. He says, we're looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. Do not allow yourself to be drawn away. And I just celebrate the third point this morning, and that is the church has been blessed with many faithful leaders that have finished well. I don't think we have this last section of verses on the slide, so I'll read it to you in verse 33. It says, the Apostle Paul said, I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself taught us. It is more blessed to give than to receive Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. This would have been an incredibly emotional time for them. They're, they're weeping. He, he prays with them and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. But they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. He, he's ready to, to move on to what's next. He didn't know what the agenda would hold, but it sounded painful. But what he did was to leave this church in the hands of other leaders, other leaders who would attempt to represent the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ to a community that desperately needed it. And I believe that that's the legacy that we have, each one of us today, that, that we, we don't have a promise that it's going to be easy. In fact, we recognize that for many of us, we're going to find ourselves on our backs, discouraged, frustrated. What's, what are we supposed to do? But here, the Apostle Paul models for us a man who chose to get back up, to keep moving forward, to follow the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ as that 23rd Psalm communicated to us right from the beginning. He is with us, right? Isn't that great? That he's not left us or forsaken us. He's co-laboring with us each step of the way. And he is our good shepherd. And so humbly I stand before you as a person who serves on a team of people here at Hope that are committed to serving you. And we just say thank you, Lord, for being our good shepherd. I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer as we close our time out and worship together. Lord, we love you and I thank you for this, this image 
of you being our good shepherd. The Apostle Paul being able to finish well in such a way that he could say later in, in Timothy that he'd fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, that he did this well. Lord, what, a, what an incredible legacy that he leaves. And I think of the legacy of so many men and women who've gone before us that have fought for the gospel, that have sacrificially served in the community that, that desperately needed hope. And Ephesus was a dark place. We know that. Ephesus was a place that needed hope. And we feel the same way about Medina County. We feel the same way about Brunswick. We feel the same way about Strongsville and the communities that are around us, Lord, that uh, they desperately need your hope. And so the message was the same that was given so many thousands of years ago, the message of hope. And that message still is the message that I believe you that you have for each one of us, that even though it was a familiar one, the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we could anticipate our own experience of personal resurrection through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's an incredible gift that we've received. And I thank you, Lord, for the legacy of those who've gone before us that chose to take that so seriously, to uh, understand it in their own lives and then to be ambassadors for that message. Thank you, Lord, for hope. Thank you for the message of the gospel, the good news of hope for all that desperately need it. And I pray, Lord, like the Apostle Paul, that we would not just be people who've received it, but Lord, that we would be people who are ambassadors of hope. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. <laughs>